All right, week three of Summer Bliss, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Aw. I want to kind of change my message up now and preach about babies. They had that baby breath and that baby smell. Yeah, all right. Well, welcome to Highlight Church. Summer Bliss it is. Hey, guys, we're in week three. Uh, we're taking a journey through the book of Philippians. And uh, I believe that this message is going to be a game changer for you. Um, greetings to everyone uh, who's listening to the podcast, uh, be it Tuesday, Wednesday, a year from now. We bless you in the name of Jesus. And we pray that if you're in your car, in your living room, eating Doritos, brushing your teeth, that the Lord would meet you there. You guys think I'm playing, like... Podcast will change your life in the middle of brushing your teeth. What? What is that? Oh man, tough crowd. All right, let's let's preach. <laughs> you guys, it's real depressing when you just come to church and you're like, impress me. All right, no, no, let's let me stop. I'm having a good time, man. This is a great day. We're awake. We're breathing. We're paid. It was Friday. I mean, all right, let's go. Here it is. Uh, We're in Philippians. To give you context, Paul, uh, who started this church in Philippi, which is currently Kavala, Greece, is um, is in western, it's near western Turkey right now, if you were to go over there. Very small town, Philippi. Paul is in Roman prison for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And in order for there to be good news, there must be bad news. If you have been in Christ for any length of time, you know that the bad news is that we all are sinners. But the good news is that Christ lived a sinless life. And uh, God loved the world so much, John 3.16, that he sent his one and only son. And uh, Jesus died on our behalf. So we don't have to worry about dying and entering an eternity without God. When we die, we pass on to be with the Lord. That is good news. All right, so he's in Roman prison for preaching about Jesus. What's interesting about the text, especially that we're, the text we're going to read today, is that Paul doesn't see this imprisonment as an, as an oppression. He sees it as an opportunity. You're talking about a man who has traveled over 10,000 miles for 25 years up until this point, just doing what he wants, and he's sharing about who Jesus is all across the Roman Empire, at our time in history, uh, there is the most powerful empire in the world. And so hundreds of thousands of conversions to Jesus, and now he's in prison, but he doesn't see it as an oppression. He sees it as an opportunity. I want to bring a message to you today entitled, The Opportunity of a Lifetime. If you're taking notes, The Opportunity of a Lifetime. He's in prison, but this just may very well be the greatest opportunity that he has ever had as a minister for Jesus. A famous preacher and legendary evangelist back in the 1930s and 40s, Leonard Ravenhill, he said this. He said, the opportunity, watch this, the opportunity of a lifetime is seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime is seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. For instance, a job offer. So you went in, 
you killed the interview, you got four or five days to respond, yay or nay, I want the job. Um, or it could be a major purchase or a major sale of your home, your car, whatever. You got 48 hours to make, make a decision. Am I going to sell this thing? Am I going to buy it? What am I going to do? Some of y'all are dating certain people, and she's already looking sideways at you. All right, man, it's been seven years. What we go do here? Your, your window's running short. You may not never get another chance. So it, it's, it's an opportunity. An opportunity is a time frame of favorability, and once expired, it may never come back. That's what an opportunity is. It's a time frame. You can, whatever industry, whatever section of sector of life, it's a, it's a time frame of favorability. And once expired, it may never come back. And as I was studying the text this weekend, a key truth popped out to me. And we're going to read it. We're going to get into Bible. I'm just kind of building my case here. A key truth popped out to me. Pastor Leonard said that the opportunity of a lifetime is seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. And I got to thinking about Paul and reading the verses that we're about to read. And I'm like, I agree with that partially. With all due respect, Reverend Leonard Ravenhill, partially. But a key truth popped out to me, and I believe that that truth is this. It is that the opportunity of a lifetime, come on, pull my quote up, is life itself. I really want you to get this. The opportunity of a lifetime is life itself. Because opportunities come and go. I have two weeks to experience this thing. The two weeks is gone. Man, I missed it. I have two weeks to make a decision. I made the decision, and now I'm experiencing this thing. I'm in the middle of it. It's great, but something's still missing. Because for some reason, we, we tend to make opportunities the end-all, be-all of our lives. Not understanding that life itself is the greatest opportunity that God has given us. Wow, I don't have to ask for him today. This is already good preaching. This is already good. All right, so I'll behave then. This is the reason I say it. Like I said, we're going to read the text. So uh, we, we have given 75, 85 years on average to live, some more, some less. But the text we're going to read, Paul is going to help us to understand that we live here and we go on into eternity. So what's the truth here? The truth is, is that life is ever going. Life is ever going. The, the word there, there is zoe in the Greek. So he's going to say, like, whether I live or whether I die. He, and, and death is separation. So we're going to get into that. But life is zoe. Life is a gift given by God. God is self-existent. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is also the giver of life. He is the source of life. And uh, we read some verses there during baby dedication that clarifies the fact that we were existent in the mind of God, we were there with God in our souls, we were souls in the mind of God, and then in, in the appointed time we manifested upon the earth in human form. So you see it in Genesis 1, 
that there was Adam, his body, it was dust and it was dirt. And the Bible says he breathed and Adam became a living soul. So Adam was already there before I was formed in the womb. So life, life as we know it, we were existing prior to being here in the flesh. And eventually we're going to die. The good news is, is if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you go right back to the life source for all eternity. So life itself is ever going. Therefore, watch this. I need you to write this down. Life is ever going. And my approach to life should be ever growing. It should be ever growing, like to progress, to, to mature, to become better, to to become more professional, to, to become more excellent. I should be ever growing. It's, you know, so a lot of us, we want, we want to make it to the, the, the ceremony, the wedding ceremony. I have an opportunity to get married. That's great. But that shouldn't be my desire. My desire is to love and serve someone and to be the best friend of that person, and, and to help them, and to, and to set them free, and to grow them. The, the goal shouldn't be, hey, I want to be pregnant. No, no, the goal should be, I want to I create a context where they know Jesus, where they know how to, finance, how, how to budget, and how to pray, and, and, and how, to, how to be, you know, how, know themselves. Like, you, you want to you raise up leaders. You don't just want to give birth to, to a being like, you know what I'm saying? The, the pro, because life is ever going. I'm 31 years old. I'm praying I'm around at least another 60, 70 years. Guess what I want to be doing when I'm 70? This right here. And I pray that I'm better at it. I won't have to look at notes when I'm 70. I just know it all by heart. <laughs> Y'all want to mess with me? I know it all. I've got to read the Bible. And it's funny, but it's for real. Oh, man, Satan go hate it when I'm 70. Satan go hate it when you're 50, when you're 60, when you're 70, when you're 80, when you're 90, and you're still praising God, and you're still moving forward because it's ever growing. A lot of us, I want this person in my life, but God is like, you need to grow to get that person in your life. Life should be ever, ever growing. This is my sermon today in a sentence. Paul is teaching us this because the letter of Philippians is the most joyous letter he's ever written. As a matter of fact, you're either going to see joy or rejoice in Philippians 16 times. And throughout the course of this series, I ask that you would read the book of Philippians two or three times over the next few weeks. I don't want to let you know how long we're in the series because I don't want you to miss any Sundays. But read the book of Philippians. He's writing from a prison and he has joy. Why? This is, this is the sentence. This is the summary. Residual joy comes from pursuing progress, not perfection. You, you never arrive. You never arrive. And I want to give you three things I believe that we should, we should always seek to, to progress in. If God's blessing is going to be limitless, if our joy is going to be complete in the Lord, there are three things 
that, that you should just zone in on for the rest of your life. And I promise you, the tangible is going to fall in line, the career, the family, the, the, the finance, it's all going to f- fall in line if you deal with these three things for the rest of your life. And Paul is going to show them to us here. We're going to read Philippians 1, 20 through 26, but I'm going to break it down verse by verse, so we're not going to go straight to 26, and I'm going to give you these three points. Uh, here it is, Philippians 1, verse 20. He says this here, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, trusting, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. You see this? Let's go back up to the top. It says here, but I will continue to be bold for Christ. I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ. So he's talking about bold and honor to Christ. What is Paul saying? I'm in a prison. This is my most joyous letter. This tells me that his focus is not on external things. And so this is the first thing that you got to zone in on for the rest of your life. I know it's the first thing I'm zoning in on. It's my character. It's my character. My character. So, so, so it's who I am, right? So I'm Paul. You, you, can, you can put me before Caesar. You can put me back in Jerusalem with the apostles, chilling with them. You can put me in a prison. I'm still Paul. You can give me a million dollars. The bank account can be in the red. I can be single, happily married. I'm still Paul. Who I am, my character. So you know like when you apply for a job, right? Um, And they ask you at a certain point, put three or four references. And they either call those references or they send a survey to you. I just got a survey a few weeks ago on somebody. They put me down as a reference without my uh, permission. <laughs> and so everything I said was like, they're always late, they suck, and they didn't, <laughs> they didn't give out my permission. And they ask you those questions. Are they responsible? You, you get what are their strengths, their weaknesses? Are they on time? Those, those questions are what? Questions of character. It's not about talent. It's what kind of person are we about to hire here? So, so it's my character. Your character is defined as your mental, the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. So it's who you are. So like when you step into a room or when you first interact with somebody, they're going to have an experience with your character. When you leave the room, your character morphs into your reputation. So you've heard that quote, your reputation precedes you. There are people who know you before you've even met them, based upon word of mouth. When I met that person, oh man, they were respectful, and they, they, they show up 10 minutes before time, and they, they honor you when they speak, and, and they're punctual, and they're frugal, and they're dependable, and they're loyal. There are two places, two characteristics in my life I'm currently working on right now. I get them from my parents. I won't put them on, on front row like that, but I'll let you know they're my parents. One is procrastination. Yes, the man with the mic, procrastination. The other is disorganization. 
I get each of these characteristics from one parent and the other parent. And so over the past five years is when God put it on my radar, I began to become very intentional about chopping away and cutting away at procrastinating. Because what happens? It's, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Eventually, the due date is tomorrow, and I never got to it. And what I could have done three weeks ago, I'm trying to do three weeks of work in three hours. I don't get it done. I become frustrated, and I pray, God, what's going on with my life? What's going on? God's like, God's like, I can't trust you with time. And the other one is disorganization. Uh, this is there, and Bible's falling apart, and this, and this, and, uh, and I'm looking for things, and I can't find them, but praise God, I married a person who is not a procrastinator, and she is very organized. So it's like your character, who are you? Are you loyal? When people interact with you, do you speak life? When, when they leave a a, a moment with you or a few minutes or a few hours, do they feel better? Are they uplifted? Are they encouraged? When you leave the interview, can, can that, can, can that employ, future employer potentially say, man, we, we got to have that person. They're excellent. Do you present well? Do you, are you, are, is it, it's your character. It's who you are. It's who you are. Why, why are we taking time on this? It's because your talent can get you places that if you don't have the character, you won't be able to sustain. Your talent, your hard work, it can get you in the door. But if the character doesn't match, you won't sustain. I, I'll take character any day over gift. Any day over talent. Give me a person that shows up 10 minutes prior. Your, your character is so important. I want to share a scripture with you here. Uh, uh, um, oh, man, I missed that. Character is giving it my best even when no one is patting me on the back. That's character. Daniel 1 verse 3 says this. Then, king, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families. Just to give you quick context, Daniel was taken away from Judah, which is in Israel. Um, Babylon had invaded them, exiled them to Babylon, and so now they're, the Jewish people are in Babylon, but praise God for his presence, and thank God that he's given you the gift of character because it doesn't matter where you go. He's just like Paul. So he's exiled. He's not home, but he's Daniel. So here it is. It says this here. Um, blah, 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 who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Verse 4, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge, and have good judgment. Judgment, judgment here is not the judgment of God. Judgment here is the, to see right, wrong, and go right. Like, I see right, I see wrong, but I'm, I'm going to go right. So even a secular, unsaved person who doesn't love God, who worships many different gods, can say, hey, I'm looking for people of character. Like, God can use people who don't know. All right, I'm going ahead of myself. So, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. So he's looking for people of character to take to a place of royalty. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Verse 5, the king assigned them to a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and enter royal service. Let's skip down to verse 8. 
But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Why? Because it was against Jewish law to partake of this food that Nebuchadnezzar was giving. So he says, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to remain pure. I'm going to do what's right. Character. That as I live, I'm going to be bold for Christ, and my life is going to bring him honor. So you can put me anywhere, and my life is going to bring God honor. I'm not going to be saturated in the culture. So he says this here, by eating the food and wine, and it says this here, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these acceptable foods. Verse 9. Now God, ooh, here we go. I'm going to talk to the two people that are awake. Because this is too practical for some of you spiritual deep wonders. And it's too spiritual for some of you who are distracted by things that you're going to do after church. But if you just work on your character, a man of character. First eight verses, it's all Daniel. By verse number nine, who steps in? God. God. It says, but God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. You want to be top dog? You want to be promoted? You want God to bless you? It's as simple as doing what's right. It's as simple as waiting on God to promote you. It's as simple as saying, I don't have to be seen. I don't need a raise. I don't need any of that because I'm, I'm just going to honor. As I live, I'm going to honor Christ. I'm going to honor God. And in due time, verse 9 comes around. God will give, give you favor with people of power if, you, if we would just be people of character. If we would just be people of godly Pure, just character. Character. This is power. I'm, I'm, I'm convicted by this, man. It's the only thing that has ever worked in my life. I don't, I don't deserve to be on this platform. It's God's glory. It's God's glory. But let me tell you something. 50% of it is God's doing. The, the other 50 is my doing. 50% of what God wants to do for you is just that. Uh, uh, everything, I'm sorry, everything that God wants to do for you, God is only in charge or, or have the power over 50% of it. The rest is on you. Character. So now think of work. So now Monday, Tuesday, or whatever you do, freelance. I don't know. It's weird up here in the DMV. In Florida, people had eight to fives, and you showed up. Y'all just, y'all don't go to work, and y'all balling. Just, <laughs> just always on Instagram. I'm like, dang, how they live over there? What they doing? <laughs> whatever you do, do it with excellence. That's good, Bruce. All right, cool. I want to share this verse with you. By his divine power, 2 Peter 3, 1-3a says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need 
to live a godly life. What is that? That's his spirit. So, so you don't need self-help. You just need a community of believers to, to get around you, to encourage you. You need to grow in his spirit and his word. So, like, when I'm reading the Bible, I see Daniel. I'm like, man, he's exiled. He's like a teenager. Wow, but he's about to be in the palace. Yeah, he's smart. But the Lord gave him favor with people of power because of his character. Paul said, whether I live or die, pursuing godly character causes God to pursue you with promotion and blessing. Let's go to Philippians 1.21. This is, I'm in teaching mode. Is that okay? I'm coming to find out that's what this area appreciates. Down in the south, I could yell, and people would stand up and run around and all that. But, but then their lives don't change much. You come up here, people just chill. They may look at you like this. But they listening, and they're applying it. So, praise God for your application. That's what matters. You know, I'll be up losing sleep like, oh, is this going to connect? Is this going to work? Eh. All right, anyway, sorry. Verse 21. For to me, Philippians 1.21, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. This comes against doctrine called soul sleep. There are some sects who believe sectors of Christianity that believe that when you die, you sleep. You just end up in suspended animation until Jesus comes back. So this comes against it. Paul is saying, if I live, I'm, I'm doing more for Christ. If I die, it's better. Why is it better? But if I live, I can do more fruitful work, verse 22. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which is far better for me. And this also comes against the doctrine of purgatory, where a believer has to suffer a little bit more after they die in order to enter into the presence of God. I don't find that here in the scripture. As soon as you pass away, you're in the hands of God. Jesus said it. If you read uh, Luke 23, 46, um, he said, it is finished. He said, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And the Bible says that he took his last breath. So what happens when he took his last breath? He's in the hands of his father. Life itself is the greatest opportunity, and you got about 80 years to get it right down here. And we're going to read verse 24, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Paul, we got to work on this, number two, my legacy. People are going to know that by the end of Paul's life, he lived for Jesus, and when he died, he left Jesus' impact behind. He, he was building God's kingdom. Wherever Paul was also a tent maker, so he wasn't just a preacher. He would go and make shawls, very expensive shawls, not tents that you live in, but things that cover people's heads. And, and he would minister to them as he was making his tents. He was building the kingdom of God as he did that. I want to read a quick story to you. Back in 2013, a, a garage in Los Altos, if I pronounced that wrong, forgive me, California, was named a historic site. What was it about? The 65-year-old 65 structure that warranted such an honor. After all, the house at uh, 2066 Christ Drive isn't all that impressive to look at. Undoubtedly, 
um, there are sexier garages in California. But this house and garage were, was the birthplace of something more world-changing uh, than the latest performance car to come off the assembly line. This is where Steve Jobs grew up, and this is where he and Steve Wozniak developed the first Apple computers. Jobs and Woz met back in 1971, drawn together by a mutual love for high-tech pranks. For example, they somehow managed to place a call to the Vatican and ne nearly got the Pope on the line. When the Steves saw a primitive computer um, called the MITS Altair, Altar at a local computer club gathering, Woz got an idea. Rather than the box-like stru structure they hadn't seen, he decided to draw inspiration from typewriters and ultimately created the first ever computer with a keyboard. Jobs was blown away by the invention, so he sold his VW microbus, his van, to raise money for the production, not to be outdone, Woz sold his calculator. As you know it, Apple started on $1,500. 65% of Americans own Apple products. Do you own Apple products, show of hands? Ooh, man, yeah, that's about 80. Back in 2012, 50% of Americans, if you don't, I don't know if you're too Christian, um, God loves people that owns Apple. The book of Second Joshua. <laughs> Verse week three of Summer Bliss. Um, I'm playing. I mean, it, it, it stands true. I mean, I, I own, well, this is uh, my administrator, Megan's, but she hasn't come back for it yet, so it's mine's now. I mean, I got one, two, Apple products just Apple all day. And in 2017, in 2007, their annual rev revenue, Apple, was $29 billion in 2007. I mean, I mean, Apple computers and my phone, and this is Apple. I mean, I don't just have one device, I have different ones. 2007, $29 billion. 2017, $229 billion. Needless to say, Steve Jobs definitely built something great while he was upon the earth. He definitely built something great. And I get that, but that's a secular thing. My question to you is, what are you spiritually building? What, what legacy are you spiritually building? Like, I, I want to work on my legacy, my, my legacy. Because we can build all these things, and they're null and void if they're not for the glory of God. And I want to encourage you with this. Build your life on your values in order to leave something valuable behind. Build your life on values. Goals are temporary. They're good, but they're temporary. The body fails. I mean, my, my dad right now, he, he's in a nursing home. I don't care how much money he has, nothing can heal his illnesses. But what am I building now that I have the strength and the power and the breath in me? For me, I got a few values. Uh, in, in the Reading household, we honor prayer. It's a value if you're taking notes. I want to pass on some secrets. We honor prayer. I pray every day with my spouse. Be it in the car, edge of the bed.
we pray, we, we pray with our kids, our boys, before every meal, before we put them down. It's a value. We have to talk to the one who's been so good to us. We, we got to meet him in the middle of our day and say, God, thank you. God, we're struggling. God, we're tired. God, we're blessed. God, we praise you. It's a value. It, it's a value. We value church. We value, we don't just value faith. A lot of people value faith. But Jesus built the church. So we value church. We value church attendance. Like, like it was the church that when I was going from struggling with this sin, I got some brothers and sisters around me to keep me from that sin. It was the church where I learned how to financially, how to budget. It, it was the church where I, I met my wife and, and, and I had grown in, in, my, in my, you know, I was serving in the church and I met my wife in a bookstore, but I knew, girl, if we go get together, you got to get your butt in church. I ain't going where you are. We, you have to get to church. My mom know it. My mother-in-law's here. Give us some love, y'all. My mother-in-law's here. She looked like my wife's sister, but this my mother-in-law. It was the church. And, and so for, for six years, sweetie, since we've known each other, it's been church. If we're out of town, we're finding a church. If we're in town, we're in church. If we got, even now, my dad is deathly ill. I, w I went home for over a three-week span twice, Florida to Ma Maryland, Florida to Maryland. Guess what? We scheduled that, and it wasn't a vacation. It was a real reason we had to go. But we had to be back in Highlight Church on Sunday because it's a value. It's a value. We will be here. We will prioritize things around the house of God. Our kids aren't in three, four sports. That's idolatry. We don't want to look up and one day after they've left the house, it's like, who are you? I don't know who you are. Well, it's because 18, 20 years, we, we were idolizing the kids and sports and activities and this and that, not putting our marriage and God where he was supposed to be in the center of our lives. So the value is the church. This is where I serve. This is where I grow. This is where I connect. You may meet your spouse here, but I'm going to stay rooted in the church. It's a value. It's a value. Come on, somebody. It's a value. It's a value. So whatever I got to quit, however I got to move my schedule around, I'm in the church. It's what Jesus died to build. And I'm here. Are you? In the church. It's a value. Build the church and prioritize everything around it. We got our, our, our sons playing one sport, baseball. Because as they get older, I want them to prioritize the church. Even if they make it to the MLB, they better be sending that tithe to a local church. It don't have to be highlight. If you're making 20 mil a year, that church that you're attending better get 10 million of it. It's a principle. Because it all comes from God anyway. It all comes from the Lord. Another value is healthy marriage. So we have Monday date nights. Monday date nights provide us a fun and safe zone. She can talk about whatever. I can talk about whatever. I have to receive it and say, I'm sorry. We're going to work on that. You need that when you get married. You need to be able to communicate healthy and not be offended because you're on the same team. You can honor God. You can build a legacy in your singleness. 
You can say, I'm going to be pure. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to read my Bible. My spouse and I, you, you can pray these things. We're going to do it together when we get together. We're going to go to church. We're, we're going we're gonna to the, serve the community. We're going to do these things. I'm building my life on values, not goals, not, not these things, not, values, values. Financial stewardship is another one. We'll be out of here in five minutes. Come on and close me out. I value that. I value that. The Bible teaches about the tithe and budgeting. I value that. You know, 78% of lotto winners are dead broke four years later. Because no one ever passed on to them values of budgeting. Value. Proverbs 13.22 says this, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. Proverbs 13.22 says this, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. I don't want to pass my sons a million dollars, but not teach them to honor God with it first. And not teach them handles as to how they can turn the million into 10 million. Values. Values. I want, I want to pass on, man, I, I saw my dad kiss my mom and, and serve in one church for 55, 60 years. I saw him commit his life to something that was greater than himself. And because of it, I'm growing up as a young man, and I'm going to commit my life to something greater than me. Passing on values. Cars come and go, people come and go, but values last forever. Whether I'm alive, I can bear more fruit for Christ. When I die, I go and be with him. Either way, I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm building a legacy. Psalm 112 says this, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children, watch this, will be successful everywhere. The greatest thing that you can build and pass on to the next generation, whether you're a parent or not, you still have a responsibility, is to pass on faith. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. Whether I live or die, I'm doing it for Christ. Philippians 1, 25 through 26, knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, I will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. The third thing you must focus on, we are so short on time, but it's okay, is my impact. You focus on these three things, character, what are you building, and your impact. The difference I make. The difference I make. Recently, uh, we sent a few superheroes over to family service in their Keys to Success program. We're so proud of our superheroes in this church. They talked to eight. Um, we, can, we can celebrate that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they spoke with eight teenage mothers between the ages of, I think, 17 and 20 about career paths. 
many of which, more, it's more than eight, but they met with eight that day, but many of which have been raped and abandoned and uh, neglected, and they're jumping from home to home, be it even sometimes hotel. I mean, 17-year-old babies, 16. They're, they're even more in the program, 13, 14, 15. They have children, and uh, our superheroes went there to talk about career paths and how, how they can find hope and a better way out. You know, that's why we moved here. Mama, I love you, but we could have did this in Orlando. But God called us here, sweetie. But that's why we moved here. We moved here for them. And I never get tired of <clears throat> seeing a marriage healed. I never get tired of people in our church saying, hey, we want to get married. Will you counsel us? We've, been, we've made a, a vow of purity, and we want to get married. Never get tired of that. Those are changed lives. That's, that's God moving through us into their lives. I never get tired of transformation. Someone saying, hey, I'm done with alcohol. I don't smoke anymore. My attitude is better. Never get tired of that stuff. I never get tired of hearing about prayers of healing of cancer and illness. We never get tired of giving to our partners the thousands of dollars that we have given. We've already given more in this year as a church than we did all last year as a church to our partners. I never get tired of baptisms and seeing people come out of the water full of tears, knowing that God loves them. I never get tired of salvations, knowing that one day I'm going to see you in heaven. We're going to have a good old time. I won't be preaching. It'll be Jesus. We're all going to sit down. I never get tired of dreaming bigger dreams. God has given us favor with the deputy sheriff of Montgomery County. He's given us favor with the mayor of Gaithersburg. Because as a church, we're called to address the needs of these towns. And as your pastor, I want to encourage you to always pursue impact. Impact. Every head bowed. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you this opportunity. God loves you so much, and he sent his son on a cross to die for you. No matter how you came in today or what, you, what you've done this week or all of your life, God loves you. And you may have missed the mark plenty of times in plenty of areas, but Christ never missed the mark. And he took your sins upon the cross and he knelt them and he left them there. And if you would just believe in him, put your faith in him, and turn from your life of sin, Today could be the day of salvation for you. And God will make his heart, his home in your heart. So on the count of three, every head bowed, church, you pray, you intercede for your future brothers and sisters. On the count of three, I just want you to lift that hand. Today can be a brand new day for you. Or maybe you're coming back to Jesus. You've been backslidden for a while. You need to come back to him. You're saved but you want to start walking with him again. And on the count of three, just raise that hand. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray with you. One, two, three.
three, every head bowed. Raise that hand high. High, raise those hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put those hands down. Praise God. Church, let's celebrate. Salvation reigns in this place today. Praise God. God is good. Would you repeat after me as we support them in their faith decision? Church, repeat after me. Say, Father God, I love you. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my life of sin. Fill me. Make your home and my heart. I believe that you are the Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen.